Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the Best Life. What's going on? You just got back from London. I got back from London. And uh, like, you're taking a summer vacation. I'm actually really jealous. <laughs> oh, wait, are we recording? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just fucking start. Oh, great. I love it. Um, yeah, I want to take a summer vacation from the podcast because it was going four years. Over four years. I never took a break. Oh, so crazy. 313 episodes. Amazing. I was like, I'm going to take a summer break. And I actually think I'm going to take a summer break every year now. Are you? I'm going to. I might do it next year. You guys, so we're here with Elizabeth Dialto and we're in her her studio her uh, apartment in Maria Del Rey which I love and um, Elizabeth and I have been friends for a really long time but she is a total badass when it comes to many things and we'll get into those things <laughs> but amongst other things she has a podcast called Truth Telling which if you have not listened to you definitely need to subscribe um, and a book called Untame Yourself and a whole bunch of other really amazing services offerings ways that you can work with her um, and we'll get into all that, but thank you for being on. I'm so excited. You know, um, there's this meme that I saw a couple of months ago. It's a picture of Oprah sitting back in a chair. I know exactly what you're going to say because I fucking loved it too. <laughs> when she's like, another thing? yeah, <laughs> what does it say for her? It says she like her legs are crossed and she's kind of sitting there with her arms open, like ta-da. Right. And it's, it says me discovering yet another thing I'm good at. <laughs> You are, though. Like, you're one of those people who, like, everything that you do is, like, I was reading some of your stuff the other day, and I was like, this bitch is, like, a copywriter. Like, you're, like, so good at communication. Like, that's why you're so good at what you do. Thank you. I mean, and of course, communication in all different ways, but um, one of the things that you do is you coach, do you coach men, too, or just mostly? Women. Women, when identifying, um, on a variety of things, Mm -hmm. including relationships, I don't say like personal development under that umbrella mm-hmm. and even business. Yeah. Online business. But you and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. And uh, we started in the fitness space together. Totally. When was that? That was like two, 2009? 2010. That was before when we were just babies and neither one of us were really doing online business or... Girl, that's when I still had a website called... <laughs> Do you remember the name of my no. stupid oh my website? God, what was it? Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> it was called fithealthyandbeautiful.com. Oh yes, I do remember so, that. So one of the reasons I'm a good copywriter is because that I actually, when I met you, I was doing, uh, grad, was going to do grad school yep. for exercise physiology. And I decided to quit grad school. And instead I did Marie Forleo's mastermind. Amazing. And in Marie Forleo's mastermind, Laura Belgray, do you know who Belgray is? Uh-uh. 
epic copywriter. She's Marie's copywriter. She's she's really blowing up right now, actually. Her Instagram is amazing. Laura Belgray was kind of like our copywriter mentor oh, in cool. that mastermind. So that was really helpful. But literally, retreat number one in that mastermind, Marie was it. like, oh, hell no. Change the name of that website. <laughs> <laughs> She's Been like, do you own beautiful. your name? Like, I was still going by Liz then. I don't like yeah. to be called Liz anymore. Yeah. I prefer Elizabeth. But I bought LizDialto.com and it was Liz Dialto. <laughs> Marie was literally just like, oh, Hell no. <laughs> but okay, so for people listening who are maybe like, but that sounds like great. Like, I want to be fit, healthy, and beautiful. Like, why is that a bad move? It's just too many fucking words. <laughs> it's just so vague. It's and, like, yeah, just and, it's, be- and listen, and especially now knowing what I know, I mean, those words mean something different to everyone. Which is, you know, I always have been someone who wants people to, like, feel welcome and define things for themselves. But, like. It's it, also just has no personality, right? Like, it could be anybody it behind could be the brand. Anybody. And so you switched to, at the time, LizDialto.com. Mm-hmm. Now it's ElizabethDialto.com. No, you, you know what's funny? I, I own ElizabethDialto.com, but I don't have a website there. Is it just Wild Soul Movement? WildSoulMovement.com. Awesome. Yep. And the podcast is at UntameYourself.com. I got to clean up some of my I'm the same. I have like five different websites. I know. I'm like, you know where to find me. Right. On social media. Yeah. yeah. That's like the hub. Find me on Instagram. And then, from and there. then go on that link tree thing and everything you need to know <laughs> is there. So it's Elizabeth Yelto on Instagram. Make sure you guys are following her. And when you and I met, both of us were in fitness. And so how did you make the transition from like, okay, I'm a personal trainer, maybe going to grad school for exercise science to I want to have an online coaching business of some sort? So... um, I had been blogging. I, at the time was, well, when I met you, I was in DC, but I had come from, I was living in Hoboken for a couple of years and I was connected in with all these like wellness people in New York City. Um, Sarah Jenks, Nitika Chopra, Alexis Wolfer, these people who had these like online magazines, which were big at the time. I don't know if people are still really doing these, but I wrote for Nitika's website, which was called Your Bella Life. I wrote for Alexis's website, which was called The Beauty Bean. And through them, I met Sarah Jenks. And Sarah was like, oh, have you ever heard of this woman, Marie Forleo? And I'm like, no, who's this? And I went to her website. And like, Marie and I are very similar, like personality type wise, interests, like, it's funny. I remember in the mastermind, Amy Porterfield was in our mastermind. I remember Porterfield being like, were you two separated at birth? (laughs) Um, And, you know, obviously that doesn't make sense. Marie's a bit older than me, but... um, just personality wise. And so I went to Marie's event that fall. Um, it was called Rich, Happy and Hot Live. And at that event, I literally remember I was hating grad school. And I, what's so funny is because this was almost 10 years ago now, oh right? Gosh, this is yeah. nine years ago now. Yeah. To all these names, it sounds like I'm name dropping, but right. you need to understand that at the time, none of these people were big names. Right. So like Todd Herman, who's another yeah. name that some people might recognize at that time, wasn't doing any of the things he's doing now. He was still doing like high performance coaching with like athletes and executives and stuff. And um, he was giving a talk and he was talking about how um, a friend of his who was a PhD had said something to him like, man, I wish I could do what you do. Like I was in school for so many years and like now I'm like restricted by my um, licenses or certifications yeah. or whatever it was. And I literally was standing there and I was like, oh, 
I'm going to quit grad school. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, F grad school. I was hating it. I was so miserable. And so I was literally, I was standing there with Nisha Moodley, who's a dear friend of mine, and Sarah Jenks. And they were hugging me and I was crying. You know me, I love crying. (laughs) And I was like, I don't want to go to grad school anymore. And Sarah was like, then don't. And I was like, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just how you do it. And I literally didn't even finish the semester at that point. I applied for Marie's mastermind. I got in and I was like, listen, I was going to spend this money on grad school anyway. I'd rather learn how to run an online business because I was kind of going that way anyway because when I left um, Hoboken where I'd been a personal trainer for a couple of years, I just naturally started training some of my clients virtually anyway. This was before anyone was doing any kind of like online training, programming, coaching. I was like, well, whatever. I'm going to, we could just talk on the phone and I could tell you what to do and we could check in, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now that's like, <laughs> that's like what you do, what you for, do. I know. That's so funny. So how did you did like growing up was fitness a big part of your life? Yes. I was 12 years old. I always played sports. So I was always like active, but literally it was like 1994 and the TLC crazy, sexy, cool came out the best album. and Janet Jackson's Janet album. Mm-hmm. And they all had these sick abs. Yep. Like literally 12 year old me. It was the like, best, how like, do I get these apps? Yep. And I started, I had like these VHS tapes. It was like Daisy Fuentes, totally fit abs yes. of steel. My mom had like these five pound purple dumbbells. I don't even know what they were made out of. They were just like this interesting, like rubbery, weird like synthetic yawn. material, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And um, I started working out and I really enjoyed it. But then you kind of have like a sales background though. So that like, so tell that story because it's one of my favorite (laughs) stories. (laughs) So, well, because it all like ties into a lot of what you do now, which you're helping people obviously like kind of build their, in times like build their business, build their brand. Yeah. And you have to be able to like ask for a sale confidently. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the reasons I'm able to help people with a variety of things is because I've had like a couple of different lifetimes in my (laughs) almost 36 years here. But um, when I was 19, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I responded to an ad for some sales job and it was to sell Cutco knives. So if anyone listening has ever heard of Cutco, a lot of people think it's a scam. It's not like no sales job is going to be for everybody. But for someone like me who was like, yeah, like I didn't give it, I don't really care so much about what people think. Like, I don't mind like yeah, calling you don't care strangers. About, like nose or like, yeah, people, like, yeah. I was like, what? You just have to call people and set up appointments <laughs> and you can make this much money. Like, you just go to their house and you show them the knives. Also, the <laughs> knives are the bomb. Like, I yeah, still have, they like, really are. I've had my Cutco knives. When was that? 2002. It's 17 years, y'all. And I still rave about the friggin' Look knives. She's already still selling them. I, they sell themselves. <laughs> <laughs> They really do. They're the bomb. And so that summer, I literally just did everything they told me to do. And there was like, I was pretty competitive. And there was another woman in my office who was really selling a lot. So they pitted us against each other all summer. She, I went on vacation for a week. I would have beat her. I was so pissed. Um, <laughs> she ended up being number six in the nation. I ended up being number 10 out of like 20,000 reps. Oh my gosh. So we were like in the brochure somewhere in the archives. <laughs> I probably don't have it here. It's probably in my parents' basement. There's a picture of me in a scholarship brochure um, uh, in Cutco Cutlery in the summer of 2002 oh for selling $48,252 worth of the world's finest cutlery, Jill. In in a summer? <laughs> in a summer. That's a crazy Which, so t- oh, What did you have to do for that? So you went to people's house and then like just so, take us through like the pitch. Direct sales. So you're calling people to set up appointments. So basically in the training, you make a list of ev- literally everyone you know. And then, you know, you call as many of those people as you want to. So I just called everyone. 
And then I called through when I was done with that. I called through my high school directory when I was done with that. I called through my <laughs> brother's middle school directory because I lived in like a yeah. small town for high school. Um, and so and then at each appointment, you would get referrals and you would oh, do like brilliant things. Like instead of having this notebook where like people could see if, if someone gave you like three referrals at the last appointment. I learned to like take the pages out and put it in a binder. Mm-hmm. So always the next, the page next to it was like the person who gave you 20 referrals. Oh, cool. So as Mrs. Jones is sitting there thinking about who to refer you to, she's like, well, Betty across the street gave her 20 referrals, you know? <laughs> That's amazing. There's like <laughs> right. subtle like. But then you, you really do like you learn even it's so funny because I'm writing my summer business immersion right now and I'm going to teach them next week the seven steps to a sale. Literally that I learned in Cutco, which this is funny. When I was in Marie's mastermind and I was creating my first fitness program, it was called Tighter in 10 Days, which I cringe at the name now. But um, I did a whole sales video and I wrote the script because I was like, oh, just follow my Cutco seven steps to a sale. And then later on, Marie had connected me to, again, this is, I'm not name dropping. This is before people were like really super successful. Marie had introduced me to Lewis Howes and James Wedmore. And Lewis was still doing like webinar stuff with his old business partner, Sean Malarkey. And they were publishing James's Video Traffic Academy and he needed um, case studies. And so I was pretty good on video. I was starting a YouTube channel and James watched my sales video. He's like, who wrote this for you? And I was like, what do you mean? I wrote it myself. He's like, how do you know how to write like this? I was like, I just used my Cutco seven steps to a sale. (laughs) So it really has translated in so many ways, not to mention like there's team meetings every week. I was speaking at conferences um, to like a couple hundred people. That's so amazing. And you were like 19, 20 years old. 19, 20 years old. That's so amazing. And then when I graduated, I ran my own district office. So I was recruiting and training sales reps. So you know how they say to like master something, you need 10,000 hours. Yeah. Like if I've mastered or anything it's like speaking in front of teaching and training groups of people yeah i've been doing it since i was 19 and you're still doing it and i'm still doing it yeah so how did you get from okay so tighter in 10 days mm-hmm. hashtag then how did you get to what you're doing now which is not associated with fitness yeah so after doing online fitness stuff and still being you know fitness oriented for the next two years so marie's mastermind was in 2011 launched tighter in 10 days september 2011 and then i was still i had moved back to new york city and i was still personal training and um i continued to do that through like the middle of 2012 and but what started to really bug me was i was starting to really see two things. Number one, the way that I was like part of the very problem I was wanting to help solve. Right. Um, and that, that came about because the studio that I worked in in New York was a boutique studio and, um, they Marie Claire magazine, like had contacted the studio owner, the guy who owned the studio had all kinds of connections. They wanted to make a video, um, just like some exercises from this class that I had created and I was teaching out of the studio. And so, um, he hired like hair and makeup and like a videographer to like make this like really professional looking video. And he insisted on training me for a couple of weeks leading up to it. Cause he wanted me to be in better shape than I was. And I was literally in air quote, like the best shape of my life. You know, like I had my own abs. You could see that shit. Um, and he still wanted to train me. And then uh, during the shoot, they straightened my hair. Like I have super curly hair um, for people listening. I have a ton of freckles. They put so much makeup on me. You couldn't see my freckles. They straightened my hair. So much makeup. Like I, I like, I will, I will not work out in lip gloss. I will not work out with my hair down. Like I hate having my hair on my neck if I'm sweating. And then they even painted contour lines on my stomach. 
Oh my God. I know, that was like, exactly. That was it for me. I was like, what the hell? Like I'm not even being presented as myself, right. you know, like they want me to look that really, that really hit me. I only lasted personal training for like another two months after that. And then the other thing was I just started to notice that so many of my clients were doing everything they were supposed to be doing eating what they were, again, so many air quotes in this right. conversation, yeah. right? Eating what they're supposed to be eating, doing their workouts, blah, 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 all these things. But anytime something personal would come up, it would just wipe out the results, mm. knock them out, you know? And I just became much more interested about what was going on under the hood with people. You know, I wanted to study psychology, the subtle body, like like what all the emotional things, not to mention at that time, I was in like my mid to late twenties. And so many of my clients were older than me, but they were like coming in and they were like pouring their hearts out to me. And one of the things that had happened at Maria's event in 2010 was Danielle Laporte spoke there Mm -hmm. and uh, she was still doing fire starter sessions at the time. Like desire map wasn't even a thing yet. And I remember her saying one of the things she said was like to pay attention to the things that people are like constantly asking you to do Mm -hmm. or like seeking your support or advice or guidance on. And I'm like, Oh, fascinating. People are always like wanting to like tell me their life stories or like (laughs) share their things with me, you know? Um, which at the time I had never even heard of the term holding space, right. but my ass had been holding space <laughs> for like ever, you know? Yep. So that was one of the things that sparked the transition. And then, you know me, I'm such a nerd. I'm such a voracious reader anyway. So I just started to study all these different types of things. And then one thing would lead to another, would lead to another. I did all of the different attunements to become a Reiki master, wow. which is like saying Reiki master makes me laugh so hard because you're a master. Well, because it just reminds me of when we were little, you know, like He-Man, like masters of the universe. <laughs> yeah. It's not like that. I, I always thought. had this like one friend who was like a couple years younger and I was like, you're He-Man, I'm She-Ra. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, we yeah. played house and that was, she was always the dad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I'm in charge. Me. You're going to be the whack character in <laughs> yeah. this scenario. So, um, yeah, I, I got into all that. And then as well, I also had, um, while I was still in fitness, I had started teaching Zumba classes. I had started taking salsa dancing lessons and dancing a lot. And I'd never danced before in my life. I'd always played sports. And um, that was really like wakening up like some other part of me that I had not accessed before. Mm -hmm. And um, then I went to a pole dancing class at Sheila Kelly S Factor in New York City, which there's all kinds of pole dancing classes and workouts now, but like Sheila Kelly is the OG of that. And, um, it was a 90 minute class and like you taught fitness, you know how it is. When you teach fitness classes, your warm ups like three minutes, right. maybe, right? Yeah. It's Sheila Kelly S factor in the 90 minute class. The warm up is 30 minutes long. Wow. So imagine me. I mean, st- that kind of makes sense though. It makes so much sense. Right. You're getting into your body. Yes. Like you're warming up. Like you're going to do pole tricks like that. You're probably like warming up your mind too. Cause you're like, okay, I need to like feel a lot more comfortable right now. All the things. And, but your friend over here who at the time was like, all right, when are we going to get to the pole tricks? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but actually after the whole thing, I had felt in my body and connected to my body and like my senses activated and I was feeling sensual and sexy, but not like turned on sexually, you know, like it wasn't about that in a way like that, like that was life altering for me. I was like, I didn't know I could feel this way in my body. So like that was a seed for me, which later on would evolve into doing more of what I do now, which is around embodiment practices, sensual movement, helping women get out of their heads and into their bodies. Um, 
and an array of other things that that leads yeah, to. Yeah. So the first kind of iteration of that, which you still do is wild soul movement. Yep. Okay. So how did that come about? So your personal training, um, you are starting to get into more dance, getting start to more like central movement. And then you're like, okay, cool. I just put an online dance program out or like what it like, how did you know what it want? What was Oh my be? God. So first of all, and it's not even dance. Um, it's, it's, it's something more movement, but describe it to people. Yeah. So um, let me tell you the origin story though, because did I ever tell you this? I don't know. So I was in LA. I lived in LA in 2014 and I forget, I think it was Bex. Has Bex been on the podcast? No, not yet. Um, our friend Rebecca Baruki. And um, she introduced me to this guy, Brett Hobel, who had been a trainer on one season of The, the Biggest, Biggest Loser. Loser. And he was still like teaching all kinds of classes and doing all kinds of cool stuff and fitness all over LA. Um, and so I meet Brett and he was, I was in this transitional, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And he was like, well, I'm, um, he was judging this thing called fit or flop, which is like this online fitness reality show. That's like American Idol meets Shark Tank for fitness folks in New York. So it was like him and the woman who does, um, fit fit sugar pop sugar or something like that yeah maybe? pop sugar yep. um and then some other person i don't even remember who it was they were like the judges panel and then all these fitness people were coming to like audition a class and it just so oh, happens okay. that i was going to be in new york when it was happening and i'm like this is a sign i should do this but i had to think of something and i'm like listen every mofo is going to be doing like typical Dance fitness aerobics. stuff yeah yeah or like some like metabolic like, uh, total body conditioning yeah, class yeah. or like you know whatever so i on the plane I was like, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? And I was like, huh, what if I combine a couple different things, you know? So I decided to combine a couple different, and originally I was dancing. Uh, I don't even remember. I remember like my, I wish I could find that audition somewhere. It's probably in the bowels of YouTube, but I decided <laughs> to combine a couple of different things. And then, I mean, after that, I didn't get it or whatever. I really wasn't into it. But um, after that, I actually decided to beta a more developed version of that. And so I, got, I had like 60 women from October of 2013 to whenever is six months after that, try out like the first two iterations of Wild Soul Movement. And then what it ended up being was a practice that combines um, breath and movement, mantras and meditation and reflection questions mm -hmm. so we use a mantra it's an english mantra i write it it's something like it is safe for me to trust right we're not yep. appropriating from other cultures and so the movement is kind of a physical expression of the words so the whole point which i didn't know any of this at the time i was like i'm gonna put these things together and see what happens right this yep. is always you know this, yeah, this yeah. is always how i am like i get the little spark of inspiration i'm like okay let's do this and see what happens yep. what i didn't realize is that it was going to be tremendously healing for folks physically mentally emotionally spiritually and even metaphysically, yep. right? Because the repetition of the words is reprogramming the mind, the movement of the body, like things are coming up, trauma's getting released. So then I had to study other things, right? Yep. I had to study trauma, had to study social justice because there's all these other types of things that will come up um, doing this practice. And so I did it online for a couple of years and then I started running weekend workshops in 2017 because I had, you know, however many hundreds of women all around the planet who had gone through it. And people were like, can we like, can we like do it together? Like how did, and I was like, all right. So I started doing that and I uh, started training teachers as well. Cause I'm like, I'm only yep. one person. Right. Yep. And I don't, I don't really have a desire to be like one of these people who's traveling all the time, even though I am doing that right now, but um, I don't want to do that forever. 
So it's kind of developed. So it became there. a teacher training, mm-hmm. which is really cool. When we talk about like, you know, business or whatever, like that's kind of the next iteration. It's like, you don't have to be everywhere yourself. Mm-hmm. There's cert- some sort of like certification associated with it. Maybe CEUs eventually or something like that. That could be, right. you know what I mean? That would be really cool. And like, I think obviously you've helped like thousands of women through that practice now. So you mentioned a few things that I want to come back to. One of the things that I love and appreciate so much with you, and especially because I work with so many new entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. is how attached we get to outcomes we get or get attached to an idea. You're very much like, let me try it out. And if it's a no, it's a no. And you never take, I would say failures, but you never take like just either flops or struggles or barriers or obstacles. Like personally, it's just like, cool, not for me. Even, even some successes you'll let go. Cause you're like, actually I'm not there anymore. Yeah. So like what advice would you give to someone who is maybe starting in this space and is listening to you and it's like, great, Elizabeth, like you just are, it's so easy for you to come up with stuff or to implement stuff. But for me, this is my first thing. And I'm, I'm like really worried about how it's going to be received and like, am I going to make money? Yeah. And like, how do people manage those expectations? So this is, this goes back to something I learned back at Cutco, which <laughs> is like, you have to get through a certain amount of no's to get to a yes. And in addition, so that was the Cutco lesson. But then, um, a friend of mine back, I remember I think it was like 2012, had gone to a couple of like Tony Robbins things and she was really into his date with destiny. And I guess one of the things that he teaches people there is to like have an idea journal or something where you just like, you, basically the lesson was you have to get out actually tons of shitty ideas to get to the gold ones, you know? So I just always was kind of oriented towards, oh yeah, like there's going to be a lot of crap to get to the, like the handful of things that are really viable in anything, whether it's, and I'm not calling humans crap, but even with customers, right? Like if you're doing things on, excuse me, if you're doing things online, there's going to be a percentage of people that are always going to be kicking the tires and they're never going to buy anything. Like they're never going to become a customer. They're just going to like eat for free forever. And that's Mm -hmm. totally fine. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, Then there's going to be the people who will like dabble here and there, right? And maybe they'll get something and that'll be that. And then there's going to be the people that are like your freaking diehards forever. Like I have women in Wild Soul Movement or my year long program now is called Power. I have a couple of women in Power who did tighter in 10 days Incredible. back in 2011. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep. they have been in it for every iteration and like I love them. You know, that, that shit makes me cry. It is so like they've come along for the journey. And there were tons of people who were like, this isn't what I came for. Like when I started talking about things more related to like embodiment, spirituality, personal development, healing conversations, energy work and things like this. People are like, this isn't what I came here for. Great. There's literally no shortage of people making workouts for you on the internet, you know? So I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, So that was... um, one of the things I love that you do is you always bring people along for the ride. You always invite people to come along and you're, you're very inclusive with what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, at least for me, that's, that's always been part of the, obviously, you know, I was like super hardcore fitness competitor for a mm-hmm. long time. And that's the kinds of like meal planning and like super like long workouts. Those are the kind of things I was like prescribing. Looking back, it's like so embarrassing. But then we shifted into moderation 365 where it's like, wine and chardonnay i mean like wine and salami like that's my diet and like so how do you get from there to there you need to be inclusive right and there's still people who again yeah. started with jill fit in 2010 so it, i think so long as you share what's going on to yeah. a certain degree so then how does that work if you are like cool you're a personal brand 
do you just share everything or oh my God, no. like what's the line? Is, is I've learned this shit the hard way. So in my last relationship, I was with someone who was all about like f- full frontal blogging <laughs> and which is t- what? Ugh. Just every little thing. Yeah. Just vomiting everything. So it like, this is one of my, I've actually worked the mortification out of my system pretty thoroughly, <laughs> but every once in a while, someone will be like, do you remember? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you get brutal. That visceral, like- I remember you asking me about it um, a I, couple of times. I knew you and I was like, are you, I was like, are you cool with that? I'm like, I think so. But you know, this was also, this was me. Is transparency, like that's a hot word right now. Yeah. Transparency, vulnerability. Transparency. This is funny because I'm actually, I'm writing a newsletter about this this week. Um, I believe in transparency, but the the part that I wasn't attuned to that I really am now is privacy yep. and how important it is to keep some things personal and sacred. And um, it's honestly, some things are just nobody's frigging business. And you're not not being transparent because you're not sharing every frigging detail of your life. Yep. Right. It's it's so it's it's a violent to yourself. It's disrespectful to yourself to share things that you haven't processed through or to share something that feels too raw that other people's responses could damage your own experience sure. of it, right? Or inhibit your healing process yeah. or whatever. And And there's also just some stuff that because we live in an age where it's not even like brands, like anyone with a social media account whether they have a business or not feels like they need to be like weighing in on things. Like right. I'll never forget. Like I have a, an acquaintance. <laughs> Is that air quotes or no? No, so. there's no air quotes. It's a legit acquaintance, not like a close friend. It's an acquaintance. And um, I'm laughing because there's so many things I want to write on the internet that I don't like as much content as I put out people are like you create so much I'm like you should see my Evernote it's like, like only half you should really see, see the shit the that doesn't see the light of day <laughs> outside of my computer but um I have a friend who during uh you know for people who may or may not know who Jesse Smollett is uh you can google it um but there was this whole like scandal that happened around him and uh this woman I am an acquaintance with like a week or so or whenever after it happened, I remember seeing this Facebook post where she was like, I've been waiting to weigh in on the Jesse Smollett situation. And I'm like, why? <laughs> Nobody was waiting for you to weigh in. <laughs> Nobody was like, gee, so-and-so hasn't passed her opinion yet on Facebook. That means nothing and will bear no outcome on the situation. Like, who the F do we all think we are? <laughs> Dude, that reminds me. Like, talk about old blogs. Holy shit! So, my first blog was was Jill Coleman Fitness Blogspot, and I remember I'd only I'd only write on it like once every six months, maybe. And every single time I wrote, I started with, "Hey guys, sorry, I have an MIA," as if anyone was fucking reading it, like, holding their breath to see when I was gonna post my next thing. <laughs> like, not one single person reading. It. This is what's so funny to me about the internet, like. Oh my God. Like, 
I'm always reminded of how, like, I love when I'm, like, just talking to people out in the world. I'm like, oh, have you ever heard of this or that or whatever? And they're like, no. No, Like, for example, something that is so um, prevalent in, you know, the worlds that we occupy would be, like, Brene Brown. If I'm like, are you familiar with Brene Brown? When someone's like, no, I'm like, I love that. I'm so happy you haven't heard of Brene Brown. But also, like, watch her Netflix special. But also watch the Netflix special. (laughs) And you probably... It's so true. It's a spotlight effect, right? It's like we all think, like, we're... I mean, it's just... And it's natural like human tendency to just feel that's why when people take breaks on social media like you're you're taking now and I actually like legitimately did wonder where you were mm-hmm. but you know some people are like hey guys I'm back after two months and I was like didn't know you you were gone <laughs> at all <laughs> I don't know, I think I mean maybe I'm just not like I don't really pay that close attention, right but right I'm right sure they maybe have followers and people who do care but yeah well and here's what's funny so as I've been but the point that I wanted to make is that it's it's so important to me to always remember what a small tiny corner of the internet I occupy and and a small corner of the internet we all occupy like in this bit like personal development self-help fitness like whatever self-improvement like the overall topic like we are like there's so many other things that go on in the world you know and it sometimes can feel like so important like I didn't weigh in on Jesse Smollett you know like (laughs) like nobody cares nobody cares that's so funny and so like that that that's important to me but but it's also like actually really heartwarming to me that I have popped in I do this big promotion at the end of July every year and so I did pop back out of my break and people were like we miss you and I'm like that's adorable there's not a single person on the internet who if they log out I'm gonna miss them I know you know yeah because like if it's your friend you're gonna like text them exactly but I mean I do take that very seriously that people feel that way about me like that is so amazing to me you know and you've been doing it for so long. I love that you still have people who are interested in your content, you know, nine years later. And so what advice would you give to someone who's listening to this and they might be back where you were and they're maybe like wanting to start online and they want things to be happening fast, faster than they are. They're feeling like, I mean, you're kind of smiling because I kind of know what your answer you know is going to be. You know what I'm going to say. But like, well, how do you settle in for the long haul? Like, do you feel like, I don't ever really remember it feeling like a sprint, but these people I'm working with or people I've talked to, it's, they've been doing it consistently maybe for six months and they're so frustrated and they get so down and they get so discouraged. Well, listen, one of the reasons I'm going to speak directly to you people. One of the reasons that you get down and discouraged is because of how much marketing you've ingested that tells you it should be happening faster than it is. Listen, that is possible for some folks. It is the anomaly. It is not the norm, right? And I think, and I'm curious, my hypothesis is that people who have these like rises to quote internet fame that looks like they were some kind of overnight success, they've either been hustling for a while and it just appears that way and they don't mind letting you think that or they had a shitload of money to spend on ads and stuff yep. Yep. because anyone can grow a platform if they have tons of money to invest these days. Yep. Now, there are some people who do it like organically and, and, and that stuff. But it just could be like something hits. Like, so you remember a couple of years ago on Instagram where it was like the green check mark red X. Those like po- those like those uh, infographic posts. Yes, yes. Those things like exploded, and you had people who maybe had a thousand followers go sh- like sh- like a thousand people a day adding them. Wow, like they were just so shareable. I know several people in the space who. So I think it's maybe, a, but even I would argue that if your numbers grow that quickly, the trust is still lagging behind. Totally, and I'll tell you why 
I have um, the loyalty that I have with people is the podcast. Yeah. Right. So the podcast came out in 2015. But before that, I had Facebook groups. But the other thing is, so the platforms have changed quite a bit. Right. So um, people, when we started, literally, if we posted something, the people who followed us saw it when we posted it. And every single one of them saw it. And every single one of them saw it. And it was it, it was in order of when we posted it, you know, so like there was a huge advantage to that. And some of my loyalist people who are still with me, they started following me back in those days when there was like that consistency. Right. Because no matter what form of marketing you're doing, like if you're doing stuff to be top of mind for folks, um, you're doing stuff to be top of mind for folks. And I've always been an engagement oriented person. Yep. I've never been someone who's like trying to get a gajillion followers right. or fans or whatever. I've always been like, I'm going to get to know my people. Now, this is important. I am extroverted and I'm, or I'm, I'm built for that. And I love it. Like I tell people on my podcasts, um, send me a DM on Instagram. Like, I want to know, what did you like? Whatever. Leave a comment, find me on there. I want to do that on Instagram only. I don't do it on all the platforms. Um, but not everyone wants to do that. Like for right. some people like that would be their friggin' nightmare. So figure out how to engage with your people. Like I feel like you've always done it on email, right? Yep. And even the way you yep. write, you know, you have to find a way to, it's the no like and trust factor. How do people feel like they matter and it's real, you know? Cause there's, listen, we know that there's enough people out there who don't really give a shit about the people that they're serving. Yep. They care about the numbers. They care about the fame. They care about like, how they look or whatever. And so you, you can feel it. It doesn't yes. matter if you're attuned to energy or not. Like if you have a pulse and you care as well, right? You're going to be able to feel. You're always like, something's like kind of off about. Totally. You're like the messages just feel inauthentic. Like it just feels right. like. Right. And this is one of the reasons why I've always shared where I like my journey with people. Like I'll wait till like after I'm through stuff or even as I'm like developing something, like I'll be like, hey, y'all, here's what I'm working on. You know, here's where we're at. I'll share more when I can Um, because I'm just like that. Like before people were making such a big deal about authenticity or transparency, like that's just I'm oriented that way. Anyway, like I remember when when people started becoming authenticity coaches, (laughs) I was like, what what in the fuck is this? (laughs) Why do people need to be taught like (laughs) this? And people are like scared that they're true. Exactly. And people are like, you don't get it because like you're just been right. And that's like I I, I no longer judge it. At first I was like, what? What? Well, also, that's just marketing, too. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like, I'm like, I don't understand. Never heard of that. But um, yeah. And with the podcast, it's. People spend, at this point now, have spent hundreds of hours with me yes. in some cases. Like yep. people walk into my live workshops and some of them like literally walk in the door and start crying Yeah, because, That's you know, amazing. we talk about personal things. Like you talk about some personal things on here. Sometimes you've been the reason why someone has left a shitty relationship yeah. or like got through this thing or healed some massive thing in their life and they have this relationship with you. Because you've been in their ears. Yeah. It's so intimate. It's such a different way of connecting. You know, like scrolling through Instagram and they're like, maybe I'll read a caption, maybe I don't. But if you're in a car or you're making dinner and you're listening to an hour of someone's voice like that intimately. Yeah. I think it's just a different connection. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think everyone should have a podcast? No. What makes for a good podcast? So the funny thing, again, like a lot of things I've done, I didn't know much about it. I didn't like research. I didn't look and see what other people were doing before I started. I was like, oh, we're going to do this. Here we go. And we're off. This is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. But um, I don't listen to that many podcasts. If or when I do, I listen to interviews. And I love when people are asking these questions that are 
like the types of things I would actually want to know, Mm. you know? So for me, I always just follow my curiosity. And I also, I know my audience so well, like I know like the bell curve of people who are listening. So even if something is an answer to like my curiosity, I'm also asking the questions like, okay, I know, you know, this group, the moms are going to want to know about this, you know, (laughs) or like the single folks are going to want to know about this. And, and people will be like, Oh my God, you always ask what I want to know, you know? So like, and again, like that's a skill set. I also think it's an orientation. I think people can develop that, but it's also something that's always been like very, very natural for me because I'm such an inquisitive and curious person, you know, but people have all kinds of different formats, for their podcast. But I think if you're a good conversationalist and you're going to interview, some people don't do interviews. Yeah. I actually started doing solo episodes in 2017, uh, shorter ones where I would just kind of like riff on whatever it was on my mind. And to be honest, I did it because I have, I have so much stuff in my brain. I'm like, this will be a good way for me to like get it out of my system. And just like, if it lands for people, it lands with people and they loved it. And after like 30 of those, I didn't want to do it anymore. But, um, I enjoyed the solo episodes as well. So it's like a balance. I think with the podcast, you get to highlight other people, which I love to do. And you also get to establish yourself as an authority. Because again, like with the authenticity thing, people get to feel you. People get to see how you interact and engage with people, how you think, how you feel. I cry on my own show sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, up oh, here it comes. I'm going to cry now. Yeah, Danny J cries all the time on this podcast. Yeah. You know, it's. have you ever been on a podcast where like, it just feels so formulaic? It, like the person is literally reading down a list of questions. And it, we started that a little bit at the beginning. And then we were like, no, no, no. Actually, it was just more out of like the fact that we just like ran out of time, procrastinated. So we, we show up in an interview and we're like, we don't really know like what we should ask, but we know like what they do and let's just see where it goes from there. And the episodes got so much better after that because it felt so much more natural. It wasn't like we were like, so uh, where did you grow up? And I mean, that stuff's fine too, but like, yeah, sometimes it's just not. Yeah. For my show, I've always had one opening question and then how people answer that question determines how the rest of the interview is going to go. Occasionally, depending on the person, there might be like a couple things I do want to make sure. Sure. So I'll like write down to like ask them about whatever, but it'll come up naturally when it comes up, mm-hmm. you know, um, I love moments and in interviews when people are like, Ooh, no one's ever asked me that before. Yeah. That like gives me a podcast orgasm. <laughs> I'm like, Which yeah. is apparently a thing as well as an authenticity coach. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so you guys have to listen to the podcast. It's so good. Um, and when it comes to like what you're doing now, like the work that you do with these women and um, you do high level coaching, you ob- obviously, you know, help them with their business stuff too. But even business, I feel like is personal development in a way, mm-hmm. you know, like things come up and you're like, oh, wait, it's not is. just about, because it's just not about tactics. It's not like everything, no. I mean, the tactics are on the internet somewhere. Yeah. So it's really about working through like what comes up for you as a result of pulling the trigger on an online business or whatever it looks like. Yeah. And so what do you, would you say is the number one thing that you're helping people with the most or, or right now? What's like the common, why do people come to you? What does your DMs look like? Um, well, the thing that always, the the root of everything will always be self-trust in my work because everything, everything we're insecure about, everything we feel vulnerable around, everything that needs healing, um, requires self-trust to move through. Oh, you want to start a business? You need to, you're going to put yourself out online and people are going to see you. You need to trust yourself, right? You need to be solid in who you are and like 
your mission and why you're doing what you're doing and trust in that to be your guidepost, not necessarily like the likes, the comments, the whatever, right? Even sometimes like maybe the sales aren't even there yet. And yes, these numbers and these tangible things, we need to like keep our eye on like the outcome stuff. But if if you are so intensely compelled to do something, that is worth trusting. You know what I mean? Um, Knowing yourself and having enough self-awareness to know when you're done with something, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally everything points back to trust. One of the things I help people with a lot are, um, is courageous communication, Mm -hmm. how to have healing conversations, Mm -hmm. which often is about setting boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? It's saying no, like a lot of women especially can identify with being people pleasers, Mm -hmm. over givers, over functioning, codependent in a lot of ways. Um, and so, these are all kinds of things. And again, if you if you run a business and you're a codependent person, you are going to be overgiving to your clients and your customers yeah. all the time. And you're going to be exhausted because of that, right? All this stuff. How can in. you identify? So what are some of the, like, I don't want to say symptoms, but like what are the signs that you don't trust yourself? Uh, constantly asking everyone else for advice. <laughs> yeah. Right? Constantly yeah. checking other people's stuff before you make a move. Um, doubting yourself, second guessing. Uh <sighs> And listen, some people have longer decision-making processes. There's a difference between being intentional and like in critical thinking, which I actually think that's something else we talk about a lot is bringing critical thinking back into style, right? Because so many people just want to go off the cuff because they read something online and not actually dig deeper and do some research and like connect some dots and then like feel into what's actually true for them, what aligns with their values and their priorities and isn't, they're not just like hopping on some friggin' hashtag bandwagon is like you are you're very fast to take action but you're very intentional mm-hmm. and i think that's like a that's a combination i think that is it's a, a balance that you have to get to well and here's the thing too when you trust yourself when you part of trusting yourself is also having integrity right it's very easy to trust myself because i have high integrity right so i know i'm not here to like mess around with people i'm not here to like take advantage of people manipulate coerce whatever i'm not out here performing shit I'm not doing things for the optics, right? So when I'm ready to do something, I will do it. And it's almost like when people are pressuring, like you and I talk a lot offline about social justice related topics. And often when something big happens and everyone is commenting or everyone is posting and people are like, silence is being complicit. And I'm like, and it's actually, you know, you and I have both learned from Dr. T is one of our teachers and I'm really into the concept of harm reduction, yeah. right? So if I'm not ready to say something yet, because I haven't actually dug through and looked at, you know, what to say, right. that is of value to my people. Because again, yes. we're not trying to be like the person I talked about earlier. Right. He's like, I haven't weighed in on Jesse Smollett. You know, like, right. I mean, like, I didn't say anything ever about Jesse Smollett because also like, that's not, I, I'm not going to be reactionary right. like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm going to consistently, I'll speak up about what, when, and how it's appropriate and how it serves my people. Not because everyone on the internet is putting pressure on everyone to like say something about a thing. You know, yeah. I will share, I will amplify other people who are saying things about things. Right. But like, so this is, this is an example because this yep. is a popular example. And also today I was watching Aziz Ansari's new Netflix special. Have oh, you seen I this? I started the other day. He is going in on woke folks and it is great. It is glorious. Um, He's some of his analysis of it and the way he is making jokes about it is like, Oh yeah. So many, like some things guilty as charged, you know, everyone in their learning process. But anyway, I feel like I went on a little bit of a tangent, but where this comes back to self trust is I know my values. I know my integrity. 
I know my intentions. I know who I am. I know what I stand for. And I know what I'm here to do. And I trust that the right people are always going to make it into the room or into my audience or whatever. Yep. Right. And if people are going to be turned off because I didn't say something quick enough about a certain thing right. or because I'm just not even saying something at all about something and they're going to judge me based on that. Those are not my people, right? right? Because I also learned by some trial and error, for me, social media isn't the place to have those conversations. I have a podcast for this. I'd rather have an expert come on and talk about it than like me trying to say something about something that's like not my fucking place to say, you know? We've talked about this a lot, actually. We're going to have Dr. T on the podcast too, because I wanted to get, obviously, you know that I'm very like steeped in social justice education for myself and and coming to like to a lot of realizations as like a white woman, a woman who grew up in a privileged situation. Like it's not my, I'm not an expert in that. And so I want to bring on people who know a lot more about that Mm -hmm. than I do. And that's why I do love the opportunity to have a podcast for that. Yeah. And, you know, instead of just getting on and like being a broadcaster on social media, it's like it's, it is, um, it's a disservice at the least and it's harmful at, you know what I mean? Yeah. At the worst. Totally. Yeah. And, and I just, I integrate the things that I've learned into my stuff. So for example, the teacher training now, there's a module with a guest expert teaching on trauma. So my teachers can be aware that like we're doing this movement practice, like it's going to trigger people's trauma. It's just gonna. So you need to have a basic foundational understanding of what to do when that happens. So we don't cause more harm, right? And we can get this person help. And then also on creating um, inclusive and liberatory spaces Nice. um, so that people aren't accidentally ostracizing folks because they don't know what they don't know so it's like it's one thing to be on social media like you're saying being a broadcaster this is my friend Latham wrote about this she called it um optical allyship and I was like I love that or performative yeah or performative right Right. like what it's cool that you're like using these hashtags and like sharing this stuff but like what are you actually doing in your life like so I'd much rather be doing things in my business and having it reflected all across my organization um, than be the person with the most social media posts about the biggest thing that just happened, you know? Right, totally. And so self-trust, you know, coming back to, what if someone's listening to this and they're going, okay, well, you know, I don't even know if I, like how would I even start to to know if I was, if I had integrity? I mean, that sounds like a, like a silly question, but I'm, I'm the same as you, but I don't know that I even had a relationship to integrity or honesty until after I went through everything in my marriage. And I saw just how important it was to have like that guidepost. Mm-hmm. So I think if you ask most people, they'll say that they have integrity. They'll say that they're honest. But when it comes down to it, they don't really have that guidepost to help them make decisions in their life. The, so this is discernment, right? This is something we I've been teaching for years. Like you just, you need to know And this is why embodiment is so important, right? Because your body is always telling you what is a yes, what is a no, and what's true for you. So if you are tuned into the senses, I call it learning to speak your body's unique language of the senses. If you're tuned into like your body's way of communicating with you, you know when stuff is for you and when it's not for you. And that's discernment. Discernment is just yeses and nos, right? Judgment, which happens in the mind puts the value on all the things, right? Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's bad. I should do this. I shouldn't do this. That gets into this us into the analytical place when we're making choices that are out of alignment or out of integrity because we think we should or we think yeah. we're supposed to or yep. this is what other people in my industry are doing or blah, 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 right? And no one's above that, right? Yep. Like I even, when I, when I look back now and listen, there are times when we just don't know what we don't know. So when I look back at my last relationship and I see like, I always thought I was in alignment at the time when I was in it, 
But then afterwards, when I got out, like you're describing, I learned so many things and I realized I was codependent. I had a background of, you know, emotional abuse and like just these things that were familiar to me. So I took them as normal. Right. Right. Instead of like, no, this is totally messed up and unhealthy and dysfunctional. Like I learned that after. Right. Which is also something that then I had to come back into integrity around because I'd been you know, very open with my relationship and promoting my ex and these things. And I I shared once it was healthy and safe for me to share, like what I had been through to also be like, hey, y'all, there were things that I said at this time that like, I don't believe anymore. Did you judge yourself for that? Like looking back on it, did you have moments of embarrassment or shame over? Super embarrassed. I didn't waste any time on shame or beating myself up though, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And I like, think that, but you're fast at that. I feel like a lot of people look back and they're like, I should have known right. better. Yeah. Which is to me a kiss of death, but. Totally. Yeah. To me, there's just something in me that goes, that's the biggest waste of time. So I don't, and I understand some people are oriented towards that. So if you are, I'm just going to say, be, just remember also to be as gentle as possible with yourself, you know? Because listen, nobody, we all have these blueprints and imprints from whatever in our upbringing that like, you know, a lot of our parents were like children, raising children. Like my parents had me when they were 23 and 24. I mean, (laughs) God bless them. You know, some of you listening like had children that young and you were still getting to know who you were as you were trying to figure out how to raise these new human beings. These fresh people that were all of a sudden now your responsibility. It's wild. It's like it's it's one of the most courageous endeavors ever. But a lot of people are going in blind, right? There's all these assumptions that you should like know how to do it just because now there's this fresh baby in your arms. But like <laughs> people just don't and they do their best. But yep. as part of doing their best, they fuck up a lot of things. So we all have stuff to work through. So I just don't. I have so little judgment for that anymore. Yeah. You know, because like. Everyone's doing their best. We all have what stuff. What do you say about people? So do you think that someone who is like, quote, fucking up their kid or like do it or, or like instilling trauma, whatever you want to say, do you think that um, they're doing their best in those moments? I think everyone is always doing their best. See, and I, I do think too. But what do you say sometimes to someone? someone's best fucking sucks? <laughs> yes. I was literally thinking about this a couple hours ago, right? Yeah. Like, and that when you realize that either your best was what harmed someone or someone else has harmed you, like you have to grieve. You have to let yourself be so freaking pissed off about that and grieve it, right? There's like so much anger and sadness and grief from, I mean, that's been my process. If you're really going to get into it and feel it and get through it, you know, it rhymes and it sounds cheesy, but that thing that people say, you got to feel it to heal it. That shit is true. Yeah. Like you don't, you you don't get to just bypass the feelings. Like you got to (laughs) get into that shit because that's the only way to get out on the other side. Yeah. It's so true. And it's funny. It's like whenever, and I'm the same as you and I believe that as well, but then people are like, well, they're, they could do better. And I'm just like, that's, I mean, maybe according to you and your, what, how, how you think things should be. And it's all relative. And then, you know, the other thing is this, our, like, our culture is basically everyone's traumas interacting with each other. <laughs> and social media is a freaking dumpster fire for this. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, let's just put my trauma on the internet and then your trauma can comment on my trauma and then let's see what happens. You know? And what is okay, but before you move on, and this is so good, I love it. But like, can you define trauma for people? Ah, oh, mother. Trauma is going to be, I almost want to like Google it so I don't do it in a disservice. Or to you, like the way you, you work with your clients, maybe. Yeah. It's it's just literally anything that happens at any point. So there's 
there's like the, I'm thinking of it in terms of PTSD, right? There's like the PTSD that occurs as a result of an event, like you were at war or you were in a car accident or like uh, you were assaulted or something, right? But then there's also the complex PTSD, which is from, which results from like sustaining being in some kind of like stressful, abusive Mm -hmm. or hostile or chaotic environment over time, Mm -hmm. right? Most people are walking around with some kind of complex PTSD, um, from their childhood yep. or from whatever, or from the environment they grew up in. You know, a lot of, to meet someone who doesn't have this kind of stuff or who isn't codependent or whatever, that's a miracle. It's a friggin' miracle. Like most people have something, yep. right? Um, and so like, that's what I mean by trauma, right? Because children, here's the problem. Children before the age of like eight, your prefrontal cortex is not developed right so there's like no emotional intelligence or awareness or ability to separate yourself from what's happening in your environment so and I see this actually in in my own family so I was my parents got separated divorced and then remarried each other really fun and um Danny's parents did too I don't know if you knew that no yeah amazing so ridiculous (laughs) so I remember I was 15 when they were getting remarried and I was like do I get to object I think it's a horrible idea (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, this is happening. And I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> Everybody buckle up. Let's see how this goes. They're still together. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, so why did I say that? Oh, okay. So I was like nine. So I was already having, I was already had some prefrontal cortex stuff going on. My brother didn't. Because mm. uh, he was four years younger than me. So he is for almost five years younger than me. And so seeing the impact that it had, the distinctly different impact all of that had on both of us mm. is it's really proof. Interesting. You know, like so much more in some ways, um, his challenges are so much different than mine. Granted, we're also very different people, but because of the Age. maturity and ability to understand what was mm. happening and be able to separate it and be like, oh, that's going on with those people, you know? Yep. Um, that makes a difference. So, you know, for anyone listening, if you think about you know, what was going on in your house around you, like what was happening in the environment before you were eight. Damn. You know, and prefrontal cortex is still developing all the way up into our 20s after that. But that's like the major, that's kind of like the major threshold for it. So, um, you know, we take in so many things like secondhand smoke, emotionally, our nervous systems, like all these things. And then, you know, one of the things I learned in my healing process from my friend Terry Cole was that, you know, we have these repeating realities. So if you have any kind of trauma, and this is one of the reasons why I can't stand very basic level, like law of attraction teachings, that's just like, like attracts like, like, because people want to be like, oh, well, why are you still attracting that? And it's like, bitch, because I have trauma and my (laughs) trauma wants to heal itself. So I continue to attract this thing so I could like do better and do different. And I've learned now and I've healed a bit and I can say no to this thing that I used to say yes to and like do things differently, right? Often it takes way longer than we wish it would. Definitely had those moments, especially after uh, the marriage. I dated this guy for like three months and it was like all the stuff about Jade at the time that was like the worst, like on steroids. Yeah, it was. And I was like, how am I dating like just a worse version of like Jade's worst stuff? Like, but it was like, of course, like this is the final straw. Like this is the final thing that I need to be like, actually, that's a no for me. Hell, exactly. Because we can read and we can learn all kinds of things and have it conceptually. Totally. But the rubber has to hit the road. You have to get back out into the field with the thing 
and be able to like, because that, that is also part of your healing, right? Like if anyone's familiar with inner child work, that little kid that's like kicking up inside of you and acting out needs to know that like you're an adult now and you 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 do the parenting of the self. You take care <laughs> of your, I got this. I got us now. Yeah. Like I yeah. have this conversation with myself sometimes. I'm like, I got us now. I don't do that shit anymore. Like, nope, spotted it. I'm out. You yes. know, like we don't, we're not, we're not taking the shit from people anymore. So how do you spot it then? So what if you're like, cool, my old pattern feels good. How do you even become aware of, damn, like I'm used to doing that thing. It's almost like, it's like a habit, right? In a way, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. e- there needs to be an alternative that's just as good, if not better than the old thing. Like, how do you even notice that you're doing it again? Um, well, this is a great question because you need to have some kind of self-awareness. Right. Right. Otherwise, you're like, you'll just keep. You know, I'll give you an example. Keep like blaming, complaining. Totally. Well, and that's the Deflecting, thing. Deflecting, defending. Like. Yeah. So these are these are good these are good markers, right? Actually, one of my mentors, I loved this the way she framed it. She calls it the need to be right, mm. right? And actually, a lot of before I even learned need to be right, it was Byron Katie's stuff yeah. that helped me with a lot of those things, right? To like reframe things, turn it around, and be like, all right, actually. Sure, this person totally should be acting like an asshole, but then I get to decide how (laughs) I'm going to interact with that, right? Like, I don't have to take it. I don't have to sit here in it, you know? So that was helpful. And then the need to be right was, yeah, just noticing when do I feel judgy? When do I feel defensive? When do I feel like I need to be right? I've let go. Like, I remember seeing a quote. It was actually on the screen. I worked at this gym in Washington, D.C. for a little while um, called Vita Fitness. And it was just like up on the monitor. It said, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Mm. And I was like, oh, damn, you know, I know some people who would like want to die to be right. And I'm like, you go, man, I'd, I'd way rather, I'd way rather be at peace. I'd way rather feel, feel better. Like, is there a part of your like ego and that's like, ah, uh, but cause I think people can't, like, I know people like that too. And like, actually some people like fairly close to me who like, especially on the internet, right. It's mm-hmm. like, people have to be right. Like, is it this, um, is it like they have a justice button? Do they have like a, a you know I just, I, mean? I just don't have time like they anymore. want to please. You know what? This has been one of the huge blessings. I'm going on three years of being single now and I've dated a bunch, but I haven't been in another like relationship again. So, um, something that I've been very present to, especially the last, I want to say six to eight months is being alone, right? There's a difference between feeling lonely. It's very rare. I do feel lonely sometimes. It's pretty rare, but how stark it is to me that I am alone sometimes is much more of an impactful experience because like, for example, I was putting together, I ordered all this new bedroom furniture. I was putting that shit together. I fucked up the dresser. I had to then wait three weeks for the replacement part to come and I had a a quarter of a way put together dresser propped up on books in my bedroom for three weeks because I shouldn't have been doing that myself. You know, I should have hired someone. You know what I mean? It's like, do I hire someone? Do I invite someone over? Do I ask for help or whatever? But I was like, whatever, I'll just do it myself, right? So like getting over that, I'll just do it myself. But like, so I'm a single person. I, I run my whole life. I have to get my groceries. I have to figure out how to feed myself. Have, like people are like, oh man, you're so lucky. You don't have any responsibilities. I'm like, no, I have, all, all, like, I have all the responsibilities <laughs> for myself, right? Yes, I don't have the responsibilities of kids or whatever, whatever. And then I also have friends who are like single parents and they're holding it all down. Yeah. And I'm like, you people are my freaking heroes. Yes. You deserve the like parades and like extra random paychecks and like all kinds of things. <laughs> but, um, you know, I do so much of my, and then I run a business and then I'm holding space for literally like hundreds of people every year in a variety of capacities. Yes. And I'm like, okay, like I am literally doing so much. I don't have time. 
to be to care about being right yeah. i just don't yes all of the time i have so much time for the joy i feel when i'm like i'm just gonna let that person <laughs> stew in that because i i know I, I know the non-response is my new favorite move your, your favorite response i'm just like yeah i'm like i had someone leave some like you know my favorite is when people want to be like spiritually superior and mm-hmm. like so like righteous and condescending yes. from like a spiritual place which is <laughs> the least spiritual thing you could do (laughs) it's the best (laughs) so i had someone leave a comment and it's always these people those comments are always like a paragraph long so first of all i took the time to read your fucking paragraph that you left me but um my response to that was just like so many options (laughs) dude i i would i want your feedback on this i got a message like two days ago in my dms and like the other folder Mm -hmm. and it's from a chick and she goes um i really like you and i bought several of your programs but sometimes when i see you i feel like you're coked up i know it because i can because i was there too at one point don't at me First of all, just for the record, I've never tried cocaine in my entire life, which is actually fairly rare to be 38 and have never tried coke. I haven't either. I mean, I really enjoy marijuana quite a bit, but I've never done coke or hard drugs ever. You guys heard the ayahuasca story. So yeah, what do you even say to that? She goes, don't at me. I was about to put her blast on blast on my stories, but I just put her on red and left it. This is a great question. So... This is the kind of shit. So I actually have a whole thread on my Instagram. If you go to my highlights, you have to like click over because I have tons of highlights um, about boundaries. Oh, perfect. Um, and that I've like screenshotted and blocked out this woman's name and like this whole thing came up, right? About unsolicited feedback. Okay. was what I was about yeah. because that's really one of my biggest peeves. It's one of the most disrespectful things. It's ridiculous. And also like that, like that's an entire projection. She's like, totally. I know because I was there. It's that's like, okay, bitch, but you're wrong. <laughs> Right. And I'm, I'm not really calling her a bitch. I just right. like, yeah, yeah, no, whatever. Yeah. So, um, no, I would not, that's, that, that kind of shit doesn't get a response from me. And yeah. actually at this point in my life, I'm no longer really putting people on blast either. Yeah. But not either. I don't have the time for that either. Well, also like, and I know myself, I'd put it up and like five minutes later I'd delete it. Cause I would just be like, what am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing? Like, who right. do I actually want to be in the world? Right. But also it definitely got under my skin. Yeah. Well, and cause that's like a, Get out of here with your nonsense. I had last week, I go salsa dancing like two or three times a week. And I had met this guy a couple of weeks ago and I gave him my number because it was like, he was telling me about all these socials I didn't know about. I'm like, all right, cool. Salsa friend. It's so irritating to me to no. be. <laughs> did, you, did you think of that story? <laughs> We're having an inside joke moment. It's like that moment when you think that you could just have, you, you be could a be a woman yeah. in like your mid thirties and have a conversation with the dude and he's just being friendly and he's never, no, he's not, he's not. And you're like, Oh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he was like texting me before actually just the other day. He was like, Hey, do you want to come over before the warehouse and like pre-party and practice dancing? And I'm like, no. I'm going to like I don't need to practice dancing to I'm go dance like I'm going dancing. and I don't drink but and I also right. certainly don't want to come over to your house I do not know you right. you know but I was just like no yeah but um then when I saw him I had been there for a couple hours I was just like oh hey how long have you been here literally just like making conversation and he was like oh I've been here since like 20 minutes after I started I'm like oh no way I didn't see you literally just like that like and I literally meant what I said how long have you been here oh didn't see you yeah 
he goes, oh, I feel like you're upset that we haven't danced yet. And I'm like, nope, literally just didn't see you, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah. and then I, was, I was resting. Anyway, I don't need to go into the whole story. Yeah. But this guy, he was basically like gaslighting me about dancing. And I was like, nah. Like, yeah. And he, he got all like butthurt. I was yeah. resting. I was wearing new shoes. My feet were killing me. He literally watched me tell two other dudes, like not right now. Yeah. I just needed to sit for like two songs. And he's like, well, do you not want to dance? And I'm like, I Whoa. literally, I'm just resting. Yeah. He's like, okay, well, you can come find me. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. No, actually, you know, like, I might have, but now I'm not. Exactly. Like, get out. Like, I just, I just want people to stop dumping their stuff on everyone. You know, yeah, but they can't because no. they don't know. Because we do it too, though, and that's the thing is like, you know, especially with my relationship with Keith, I've noticed that I do like I'll make assumptions in my head. I'm never mm-hmm. like that means you're doing well, but like I'll notice I'll have to catch myself and be like, is it like am I just jumping to like whatever my narrative is or like the thing that I want, like that I'm like suspicious or whatever it yeah. is, you know? And it's literally never that, right? Well, and here's the thing: this is another like budgeting my time. I'm like, okay. I see myself making an assumption. I love to observe myself with plenty of humor when I'm making assumptions. Be like, oh, look at you. <laughs> that is ridiculous. You have no facts to support this assumption, right? So I do. Then I like, I oh, look yeah. at me making an assumption. Do I have any facts to support this? I do not. Okay. I can either move on with my life or if, if it's something that feels like I want to like check in around with someone, I can check in, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's such a great... So when would you know... What's the difference between like checking in with someone and being like, hey, you like me, right? Still like and, and like kind of being neurotic with it. Uh, being like, yo, um, I'm totally making up in my brain right now that this thing that you said means this. Is that even remotely true or accurate? Speaking of Brene Brown, I love that. Speaking of the Brene Brown special, she said something in there that Danny has really loved and has been working with her relationship, which is, can I share with you? what like the projections that I'm making in my head or can I share with you the things that like that I'm thinking in my head that and you can clarify yeah and like same thing been using I love that yeah yeah because and then they can be like no actually wasn't that at all and this is huge too I work with a lot of people who identify as like empathic or intuitive and listen I'm super intuitive you know this about me um my shit's not accurate all the time right and to think it would be that's why like remember I shared some of you a couple months ago and I'm like Listen, take it with a grain of salt. Like it doesn't, this doesn't mean it's true. I'm getting a huge hit on this thing, but like, yeah, whatever, do what you're going to do. Yeah. And so I think people also like identity comes in around this, right? Because people yes. construct an identity around being sensitive, around being intuitive. And then like, then that's where they derive their value from. But it's like, you also are really disrespecting and dishonoring others if you're not going, listen. But also like, what's your truth? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I feel like this is a big... Oh, so why did I say that? The people who, oh, oh, oh. So many people assume they're right because they're intuitive. Huge trap. And you know why this is also a trap? Because even if you are right, if the person that you're right about doesn't have the awareness around the thing you're right about, it doesn't matter because they're operating in a totally different frame of mind and thinking they're being someone or doing something different anyway so even if you're right it doesn't mean that it it could impact or change their behavior or get the result or the outcome that you want because they didn't share it with you like they didn't have the awareness of the thing to even be able to share it with you so like you treating them in a way that like you're like i know i'm right but they're not ready to be in that space yeah and and then you know and sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it's harmful it's actually 
speaking of intuition, it's something I've had to learn to curb because I didn't realize I was doing it. Um, <laughs> someone called me out on it a couple years ago. I was like, oh, damn, I got to pay attention for that. Of like, he's like, you're responding to all these things I haven't actually said out loud to you. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there is something about letting things develop in time. And I think you and I are similar. Like, I just want to, I want to get to like the bottom of shit yeah. as fast as possible. But there's been something, especially with dating, there's been something kind of nice and challenging about letting things unfold at a pace that is slower than I would like. Cause I mean, I don't know you, the reason why I think you and I get along so well is because you're very sharp and like sometimes like we don't even have to have the full conversation because <laughs> yeah. we're both already at the like yeah. punchline. <laughs> but like, I, feel like it's a nice practice and yeah. patience for me to let it develop at the, the at the pace of the person and wants. discomfort and uncertainty yep which comes back to self-trust <laughs> <laughs> so good okay well i do want to ask you one more thing which was um you had mentioned a little bit how you kind of like watch yourself with humor so i know that recently you have been doing more stand-up comedy so, so tell me about that oh my god and so like I why did you want to do that it was last summer. There's literally nothing more terrifying to me. Oh my God. So <laughs> my friend, Sean, who's dear friend of the family, my brother's been doing stand up for like a decade now. He just released an album, which is really oh, exciting. Awesome. And, um, Mike Dialto, by the way, if anyone wants to go check him out, yeah, we, we are so different by the way, but I love his friggin' sense of humor. So it's he, he, it's, it's almost like I get to surrogate live through my brother. Cause he can say all kinds of shit on the internet that I can't. Right. But I do think some of it's funny and some of it I'm like, bro, come on. Right. But anyway, um, Mikey's friend, Sean, I went to see one of Sean's shows. Sean's been in comedy for like 20 years. He's one of the co-founders of Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV, which I think they're bringing back. But um, I went to one of his shows at the Hollywood Improv last year. And while I was there, uh, Whitney Cummings was working wow. on some new material. And I was sitting like right there. I was like right next to the stage. And I'm like, wow. I, I didn't used to like her stuff, but like I was... I was so into her set and I'm like, damn, it just, it looks like so much fun. Yeah. I've loved comedy like since I was like eight years old. Yep. Literally like love comedy so much. And I was talking to Sean afterwards and I'm like, man, and my, I was with my friend Monisha. She totally instigated it because Monisha thinks I'm hilarious. And, and so between Monisha and Sean, they were like, you should just do it. Just do it. And like, again, back to the Cutco thing. I've been speaking on stages in front of large groups of people since I was 19 years old. And I'm an entertaining person. So like I make people laugh anyway. So it wasn't like that far of a stretch. So um, I just went to an open mic, like literally like almost a year, like last June. And um, then I just started going to a couple. And then Sean started inviting me to do some shows with him. And then a couple other friends, I was like posting what I was doing. And a couple people invited me to do, a lot of people are kind of blending coaching and comedy now. Mm, interesting. And so I think Kyle Cease kind of started the trend. And so I got invited to be on a couple of shows like that. I did one here in LA last year and then one in May in New York City. And it was so freaking fun, right? Cause like I'm like making jokes about Brene Brown. Yeah. You know, like my mom like weaponizing Brene Brown against me after she reads <laughs> a book. You know, like <laughs> I'm like fighting with my mom and I'm like, all right, I need a timeout. And she's like, sure, walk away. That's courageous. And I'm like, that's not what Brene Brown meant, mom. <laughs> you know, like get out of here. So um Honestly, part of it was just to have, I'm not trying to like make a career out of it or anything, but um, to have another creative outlet and actually have a place where I can go say some shit that I can't say on my Instagram yep. or that I wouldn't say. Yep. Not can't. I could say whatever I want. I would choose not to because I don't want to have to feel kind of the yeah, response, I mean, you know? Well, it's, no, I mean, it's not a service to your people, maybe. Not a service to my people because honestly, my brand is Wild Soul Movement so that anything I want to freaking do or say is on brand for me. Um, but... There's just things that I don't feel like 
engaging with if I share it on the internet, you know? So I was like, ah, this would be super fun to go do some comedy, try it out. And you know, like, again, I don't care if I fail. I don't care if I flop. And I have, I mean, I didn't, I haven't bombed yet because I could read a room, right? Right, right, right. Like, and I, I can say stuff on the cuff. So even if I, even if my set, even if my jokes aren't amazing, I can be, I can entertain the room. I know. And like, that is so just unbelievable to me. So tell, tell us about, didn't you go to one that you had to like pick a word out of like a... Yeah, that was the first open mic I went to. So so how does that work? They give you, there's like a bucket. It's called the challenge mic. If anyone's in LA and you want to like try stand-up comedy, but you don't like know how to write jokes, you don't want to like write a set or whatever, go to the challenge mic. It's on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. I'm forgetting the name of the place, but just, it's like at the challenge mic on Instagram. The host is a woman named Maggie Mayfield. And so all these topics are just in a bucket. You get five minutes and you pull one and you just talk about whatever, right? So like I always, I have a story for freaking everything, right? So my first one, can I, do we have time? Can I tell you? Yeah. So um, at the first one I went to, this was so funny because some guy, I forget why he was talking about whether or not people swallow when they give blowjobs. And he like posed a question to the audience. And I was like, it's just tidier. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. And then someone named me the tidy swallower. Oh my so God. this was great because it was the first time I ever went to open mic. So by the time I got up on the stage, the room already knew me. And I was like, so I know you've all been dying to meet me. I'm the tidy swallower. And they were like, yeah, <laughs> it was so funny. But I was like, no, seriously, you guys, you can either have a mess or you can just like take care of it. But um, <laughs> so like you just pull stuff. So, like, I pulled something out, you know, and I got to tell a story about, like, my grandpa, like, being mostly raised by an old Italian guy from Brooklyn and, like, the impact that had on my life, you know, and tell some funny stories about that. So, you know, whatever. But then what's cool about that mic is that whatever you riff on, you could go, oh, is this viable material? Like, do I want to build this out? Like, this thing that I said, oh, is there, like, a punchline there or something? And then I just got a couple books because I actually had to learn how to write jokes. I'm not, like, a great joke writer with, like, setups and punchlines and things, but... God, it look for like because I go to a comedy store. I've been to a comedy store like a handful of times. So I've been here. You and I went. Yeah. Um, and we listened. We'll listen to like a Pandora station stuff mm-hmm. like that. We watch a ton on Netflix, and I'm like, they make it look so effortless. But the timing and like the totally. right word, the right and they've tone worked that material. So by the time it gets to Netflix, oh, yeah. they have worked the hell out of that material. You know? Yeah. It's so it's amazing. I want to go. So I did see you once. But I want to see you again. Oh, that was the worst. That room sucked. The room sucked, but you were definitely like top two that night. <laughs> well, here's what I realized. I endured a lot because you were last. I endured a lot. Girl, of people who that was, was that was that was, was. I was like, I'm so I kept looking at you like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I am so sorry. Open mics are brutal because right. Well, here's what I realized again. Back to the Cutco stage presence. Is like seventy percent of it. Yeah, you guys can't see Elizabeth right now, but she's like been using her hands and her body this entire time. <laughs> so yeah, I know that this is going to be so interesting for you to listen to because the animation is there and the energy is there. <laughs> I can't help myself. I remember someone told a joke once. How do you get an Italian person to shut up? Tie their hands. Yeah, <laughs> tie up their hands. I can't it's help so true. It's really true. And then I'm also Puerto Rican. Like it's like a double. I don't know how other people speak. You but, know what, though? It's funny you say that because um, I think that your voice is so much more engaging mm-hmm. when you're animating your body, though, too, because I, I stand up when I do webinars. Yeah. And like I, I act as if there's 100 people in front of me. Yeah. And I treat it just like I would in a live event. 
and it be and it's in, much more engaging. Oh, we've been we've all been on those webinars where the person is so low energy, monotone, <laughs> and you're like, why am I listening to this right now? The information could be great, but you're just not it doesn't hold your attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so and that's like it with at in stand up, which is why going to open mics is brutal because you have to sit through all these people who don't have stage presence. Which yeah. everyone, hey, listen. I'm not Practice. knocking it. You got to like work it out and get up there, right? Like I I put in my reps in other ways. Yep. Getting stage sure. presence. But um people are so nervous about being up there. I'm not nervous about being up there. Right. Right? I'm just like is this shit going to be funny? Like does anyone care about this, <laughs> you know? Which is why yeah. I like these curated audiences. Yeah. Right? Cuz like that show I did in New York, I killed it cuz it was all people who are in like into like self-help and personal development. The other thing was because I had started dating last year for like the first time in my life. Dating's hilarious. I need it's hilarious. So material. You and I have like peed oh ourselves. My God. We've talked about many on the podcast. Yeah, there's some stories that are just ridiculous. So and then there's some stories that don't belong anywhere besides friend conversations. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, <laughs> we have to talk about this. And plus in a, any city where like everyone's online dating, like in LA, my material kills in LA if I'm it talking does, about precious, dating. Because everyone knows what the fuck you're talking everyone about. Everyone knows. Some people are like, I swiped on that guy. You know, like sometimes people in the audience you read are their like, bio. Did you like read their bio? Oh yeah. My favorite part, I usually wrap up my set by reading my favorite profiles. That's so funny. My favorite is this dude who um, he says all these things about himself and then he's like, you know, I something, something, something. And I drive a 2008 Toyota Scion. And then the last thing his profile says is no gold diggers. And I'm like, bro, no one is seeing you pull up to the first date in your 2008 Toyota Scion going, cha-ching! <laughs> I love that they raised the name of his car in his profile. <laughs> like what? Like 2011 So RDF. funny. Yeah, yeah. So oh, that's amazing. Anyway, I, just, have, I did it for fun. I know, but you're going to keep doing it, right? Yeah, I am. I'm in workshop. Like, I'm just traveling so much for workshops and yeah. stuff right now. So I'm not like, probably in the fall, I'll see about like, maybe I'll make my own show. I'll I invite some peeps. Yeah, we'll invite all the peeps. Be super fun. I want you to do it here. Tell my conscious host stories. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, I love this and I wish we could talk all night, but it's getting late. My bedtime's coming up. For um, real. But so what's the best way for people to connect with you? I know that you guys want to um hopefully DM Elizabeth and tell her how awesome this podcast was. Make sure you guys are subscribed to her podcast it's called Truth Telling with Elizabeth Dialto. Um make sure you're following on social. What is the best way for people to connect with you? Where are you hanging out? It really is. I'm on a break from Instagram right now, but it oh. is Instagram. I'll be back okay. on Instagram in August. And if they want to check out, um, uh, we have a bunch of resources on our favorite podcast episodes and stuff. Cool. If you go to wildsmovement.com forward slash resources mm-hmm. or com forward slash podcast. This is my um, alarm for, I have to post on my Facebook group every night. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a, a more efficient way of doing it, but <laughs> make sure you guys are subscribed to truth telling and make sure you grab the book untame yourself. If you go to wildsomemovement.com, you can find out all the stuff about Elizabeth and connect mm-hmm. with her there. This is great. Thank you so much for uh, talking about all the things tonight. All the things. Yeah. There's so much more though. Welcome back. We'll have to do part two. All right. I love you. All right. I love you too. All right. And I'd love you guys. Make sure you guys leave, um, if you wouldn't mind, leaving us a review. We always love those and really appreciate you guys and connect with us in our closed Facebook group at thebestlifepodcast.com. And let us know what you guys thought of the episode. And um, we will talk to you soon. All right, guys. Bye. (laughs) 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.